Thank you, men. Please turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6. We are continuing working our way through Jesus' sermon on the plain. Uh, Luke chapter 6, we're coming to a section, kind of our two, probably, Lord willing, two more weeks here in Luke uh, chapter 6 as we conclude uh, Jesus' uh, sermon on the plain. Again, Lord willing, next Sunday. If you would uh, stand with me as we read God's Word together, we'll be looking at verses 43 uh, through 45 this morning. Again, just as a reminder, we've been, Jesus has been teaching us about judging others. And after warning the disciples to first examine their own lives, he says this in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. May God encourage us through his word this morning, and you may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful to you. This morning we know that the good that we are able to produce, that the good things in our life are the product of, of your work in our lives and the lives of others in this world, and uh, we thank you for that, and we're, we're mindful of that as we, we turn our, our hearts to this text. We, we pray that you would change our hearts, help us to have hearts that reflect more and more your work within us, and Father, as we examine our lives and, and, and perhaps our concern with the fruit that we see, uh, convict us. If there be in us a, an evil, unbelieving heart, I pray that you would soften it cause us to repent and place our faith in you and bring us into life with you and transform our hearts by your grace. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, About a week and a half ago, I received a a phone call from a a friend, James, in Texas. A friend called me and informed me that he was going to be getting married to a young woman named Jane which I found somewhat odd, uh, considering that five years ago I had performed their wedding ceremony. What had happened is, is this. Uh, five years ago in July, July 2005, we were standing outside a sanctuary. Uh, all the wedding guests had arrived. The grandparents had been seated. And the next thing that's supposed to happen is myself, James, and all the groomsmen are supposed to walk into the sanctuary. And I Lean over to James, and I said, hey, you know, things are going to get kind of crazy after the wedding. Where's the marriage license so that I can sign it and not have to, to find you in order to, to get the marriage license? And he looked at me kind of sheepishly and said, oh, I forgot. What? <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. You should have reminded me about that. So we got into the blame game for a little bit. And then uh, when calmer heads uh, prevailed, we we found out, okay, is this even legal to have a wedding ceremony with no marriage license? And we found out, uh, God bless Texas, you can do almost anything in Texas. Uh, All you have to do is stand up in front of a group of people in Texas and say, we're married and you're married. And so we went ahead and we did the marriage uh, ceremony. They promised me when we get back, 
from our honeymoon, the very next day we can, Monday morning, we're going to walk into the Dallas County Courthouse and we're going to, to get our marriage license. And sure enough, they went on their honeymoon. They came back that Monday. They go to the Dallas County Courthouse. They go to the basement. They get the marriage license. It says, you know, James and Jane are now married and they live their life the next five years until Jane needs her passport updated. And they contact the state of Texas, and the state of Texas says, we don't know what you're talking, you guys aren't married. Which was a little concerning. Apparently, though they had got the marriage license from the basement, they were supposed to take it to the second floor and turn it into someone. They never did that. And so for the last five years, the state of Texas hasn't recognized their union, which concerned me somewhat. They went back to the courthouse, they went to the basement, they went this time to the second floor, and I've been assured that they backdated the marriage, so they were married in one day and celebrated their five-year anniversary all at the same time. It was amazing how it worked out legally, and uh, I hope not to get another phone call from this couple in another five years, but uh, Lord willing, they're, they're married now, or they're, they've always been married now, the state recognizes that, that, that union, okay? They'd assumed that everything was okay. They'd assumed that their relationship was, was recognized by the state of Texas, but upon further investigation, they found out that that was not the case. Here's the point. There are people who assume that their relationship with God is great. They assume that they're part of God's family. They assume that things with them and God are cool. After all, they say, you know what, I I attend a church. I go to, to Bethany Community Church. My parents have always been Christian. Whenever I have some sort of survey where I have to check my religion, I always check Christian. Surely God and I are, are okay. Sure, there's some things in my life that I wish weren't there, but my relationship with God, I assume, is okay. What we're going to see this morning is that may not be the case. Remember, we're here in Luke chapter 6, and we've been studying the Sermon on the Plain. We came to this section beginning in verse 37 that talks about judging others. And Jesus' first caution was, look, don't judge other people. In other words, don't look at them in a harsh condemn, with a harsh condemning attitude. Uh, exude grace in your dealing with other people. Uh, allow them to, to have God work in their hearts as well. And as you come along other people... Uh, Come alongside them with grace and mercy and love. Judge not, because by the same standard that you're judging, God will judge you. And a heart that is judgmental is a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. Then, Jesus says, not only should you avoid judging other people in this external relationship, what you need to do instead is turn the microscope on your own heart. Examine the condition of your own heart and say, look, am I truly of the faith? What's going on in my own life? I need to not be a hypocrite. I need to look at the log that's in my own eye and deal with that. And now as we come to verses 43 and 45, we see why that is so crucial. Because sometimes what happens as we look at our own life, we look at the fruit that's being produced in our life, the actions that we're doing, and what it reveals is that our actions reveal a heart that hasn't been transformed by God's gospel, by faith in Jesus Christ. And as we turn our microscope in and on, our, in and on ourselves, we recognize that there's something desperately wrong with our own hearts. The central 
point of the text this morning that we're looking at here in verses 43 through 45 is that the condition of your heart is revealed by the quality of your fruit. The condition of your heart is revealed by the quality of the fruit it produces. The fruit, the actions in your life, reveal the condition of your heart, the quality of your heart. The condition of your heart is revealed by the quality of the fruit that it produces. We're going to be looking at three truths here. Let's look at this first truth. It's an agricultural truth. An agricultural truth first in verses 43 and 44. What we see here in these verses is that a tree can be recognized by its fruit. Look at the text. Verse 43 says this. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its own fruit. In other words, if you go out and you see a tree and you look at its fruit and the fruit is bad, what does that tell you about the tree? There's something wrong with this tree. A tree can be recognized by its fruit, and the first thing you, th- you can recognize about a tree is the, the quality of the tree. You don't say, well, my, that is one terrible tree, but look at the great fruit it's producing. The fruit and the tree are inextricably linked together. There's a lot of diseases that can affect fruit trees. I was reading about one this, this last week called uh, fire blight. What happens with fire blight is a bacteria attacks the tree, and it's very contagious. And it attacks like a a limb, and it begins to deteriorate the limb and eat away at the limb. And the the fruit that it produces is obviously bad. And then that bacteria can spread out through the whole tree and kill it. Maybe you've heard uh, this this story before, but there's a story told of a a man and his wife. And the wife was looking out at their their apple tree, and she said, "Uh, Honey, that apple tree, there's just something terribly wrong with it. Look at what Look at the type of fruit that it's producing. Those apples just look pathetic. We need to do something with our tree. And the husband thought about it. And he goes, you know what? She's right. And she went in and she was doing some work. He goes, I'm going to surprise her. and I'm going to fix our apple tree. He went out and he picked up all the, the rotten apples off the ground and d- disposed of them. And then he went through the whole tree and picked up all the bad fruit. Then he dis- disposed of that as well. He went to the grocery store. He bought a big a barrel full of apples, and then he came home, and he spent the rest of the afternoon taking these beautiful apples and using some dental floss and tying the apples to the tree. He came out, and he said, uh, came inside and said, Honey, I want you to come look at our beautiful apple tree. And he came out with his wife, and he said, Look, behold, our beautiful apple tree, all is well. What did she say? You're crazy. <laughs> that apple tree is still bad. The fruit that it produces is not going to change. Now, we, now we're out uh, some money, some fruit, and, and dental floss. The, the tree hasn't changed. The quality of a tree, or the quality of a fruit, tells you something about that tree. Whenever a tree gets a bacteria disease or like fire blight or something, what you have to do is you look at that diseased area, and what do you do? You kind of go in about eight inches into the branch, and you cut it off very carefully, and you, you dispose of that part of the tree that's, that's infected. You deal with the root cause of what's, what's making the fruit bad. You, you fix the tree. Not only does the quality of a tree, is not only is the quality of the tree revealed in the quality of the fruit, you also can identify the tree by its fruit. He says this in verse 44. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. You can identify what type of tree you're looking at by, by its leaves and the type of fruit that is being produced. 
Jesus is saying here, look, if you go out, you look at the fruit, you look at the leaves, you look at what a tree produces, you can tell what type of tree it is, the quality and the identity of the tree. That's the agricultural truth. Now let's look at it, what we call an anthropological truth, a truth about humanity, an anthropological truth. What we see, Jesus' point is that the human heart is also revealed by its fruit. Jesus says this in verse 45. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, what does Jesus mean when he's talking about the, the heart there? And the, the heart is that immaterial part of a human being. You know, we have a flesh and blood, and we have organs, and we have the, the physical things that someone can see, uh, people can, can hear our speech, and so there's, there's physical things about us. But there's also, in human beings, an immaterial part. And sometimes we call that the, the spirit, or, or the mind, or the soul, or, or the heart. It's referring to that, that immaterial part of a, of a human being. And Jesus' point is this. Just as you can look at the fruit that a tree produces, and it tells you something about that type of tree, what comes out of a person's mouth, their actions, tell you something about the immaterial part of them, their heart, who they are at their, their, in their inner being, in their inner man. Jesus says, if you have a person who's good, they're going to produce good. If you have a person who's, who's evil, they're going to, to produce evil. The type of actions that they produce reveal what type of person they are. Good heart produces good actions. Now, when we say good, remember uh, what God's understanding of good is. Uh, sometimes we have a very low understanding of good. For example, you say, well, you know, uh, yesterday I, I did something really, really good. My, my elderly neighbor needed some help with their lawn, and so I went over and I I mowed their lawn. I, I did something good. And you say, well, why did you do that? Well, uh, my wife wanted me to. Um, wanted to make her happy and look good to her, so I mowed, mowed the lawn. Well, how was your attitude when you did it? Well, I was really mad, actually. Uh, kind of annoyed. I wanted to be inside taking a nap. And so, so you did something that was, was nice, but was it truly good? Was it coming out of a heart that had been transformed by the gospel with, with Right actions, right attitude, right motivation. The right action is, is not all that it takes for an, an action to be required. The right action requires more than just, just doing the right thing. You have to have the right attitude as you do it, and you have to have the right motivation, God's, God's glory, as that action is performed. That's truly good, and that's why a heart has to be transformed by the gospel for true good actions to take place. Now, when the heart is bad, when we're corrupt on the inside, what's going to come out is going to be bad as well. And Jesus gives a specific illustration of, of the speech that we produce. He's in much in, in line with what James says in James chapter 3. Jesus, uh, James says in James chapter 3, verse 8, The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, 
from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What comes out reveals what's inside. The actions that we produce are going to be consistent with who we are in our heart, at the core. Whenever I was uh, in high school, my first job was working at a fast food restaurant, Arby's, okay? Home of the roast beef sandwich. Now, while I was working at, at Arby's, I fell in love with, with Arby's food. And imagine if you were to, to come inside the Arby's restaurant while I was working there, and you were to look at me and you say, uh, uh, Arby's Daniel, uh, I would like a Big Mac, uh, McFlurry, and a Happy Meal. I said, well, I would love to give you those things, but I, I don't have those. This is Arby's, you know, the home of the roast beef sandwich. Get very irate with me. Look, I want a Big Mac. I would like some uh, a McFlurry and give me a Happy Meal. You go in the back and you get those things. And so I, I go into the back and I, I, I look around and I open up the freezer that I actually got locked in one time. And uh, I look around and I see bags of curly fries and some, some buns for some roast beef sandwiches. And I look, I look there's, there's no Big Macs back here. I come back out. Look, I have nothing to, to give you that you want. I can't produce what you require. The same is true of the human heart. Out of a, the good storehouse, that is out of the good heart, good is produced. Apart from the transforming work of the gospel in a person's heart, good can't be produced. Whenever we desire to do a good action, one that's ultimately good, one that glorifies God, we go to that storehouse, apart from God's transforming work, we're not going to be able to produce that which God desires, that which he requires from us. What Jesus is saying here is, look, in order to produce good, the heart has to be good as well. This central idea that the content of your heart is revealed by the quality of your fruit is a a crucial truth for Christians to understand. It's a very deep theological truth. I believe this is one of the most essential truths of the Christian faith. Let me give you some examples of of why this truth is so important. Let's say this morning uh, that you are a a person who has someone in your life that you love very much, but uh, they're doing some things that are of grave concern to you. Perhaps it's it's a child or, or someone else in your family that you love very deeply. And this person, at one point in their life, has made a profession of faith. They've They've, they've said, look, I, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, or that they prayed a prayer, and yet now, as you look at their life, there is absolutely no evidence that they have a relationship with God. In fact, they've openly denied Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've denied that Jesus is God, and as you look at the lifestyle that they're living, that there's nothing in their life that indicates a desire for God. All the fruit that they're producing indicates someone who doesn't love God. How do you counsel that person? Well, this truth that the condition of your heart is revealed by the quality of your fruit is something that you need to take to that person and say, look, I have grave concern over the state of your soul because of the nature of the fruit that you're producing. The heart is revealed by its fruit. Your fruit concerns me. 
Or perhaps you're here this morning and you say, look, uh, a long time ago uh, my, my mom told me that I, I believed in Jesus, and yet as I look at my own fruit, I see that I have no desire for God. I don't really love God's people. I, don't, I see God's commandments as, as burdensome and not a great joy to me. And as I look at my own life, I see absolutely no fruit. What's the condition of my heart? And I believe that's a question that you need to ask yourself very carefully because the human heart is revealed by its fruit. The quality of one's fruit reveals the condition of one's heart. Or perhaps you're here this morning and say, look, I, I love God. I love God very deeply. I desire to, to walk in greater obedience to God, but there's an area of my life that is of great concern to me. It's an area of sin, and it's something I've been struggling with a great deal for quite some time. Maybe it's, it's anger. You just are, are very angry at people. Or maybe it's, it's pornography and, and lust. And as you look at that area of your life, it's not something that you've been able to, to conquer. Perhaps it's the way you spend your finances or, or, or it's, it's gossip, the way your, your tongue uh, talks about other people. There's some area of your life, some sin that you've been struggling with, and you've been so focused on this action, you've been trying to do various things to address this action, and nothing's been successful. You've put up barriers in your life. You've asked other people to hold you accountable. You've, you've focused more and more on this action that you're doing, and nothing has been helpful. What does this truth that the condition of one's heart is revealed by the quality of its fruit tell you? It's not an issue of action. It's an issue of the heart. And more important than addressing your actions is addressing the condition of your heart. You need God to transform a certain part of your heart and, and ask God to help you understand what it is you're worshiping. So we've looked here at an agricultural truth. A tree can be recognized by its fruit. We see next to this anthropological truth, the truth about us as, as human beings. We see that our, our heart can be recognized by its fruit. And now what I want to do is, is give uh, five applicational truths, okay? Five applicational truths. If it's true that the condition of a heart is revealed by the quality of its fruit, here are five truths of application for us this morning that I believe will, will touch each of us in some part where we live here. The first truth I'd like you to consider is this. You must have a changed heart before you can change your behavior. You must have a changed heart before you can change your behavior. Remember when we went through the book of Ephesians, a little over a year ago now, we, we uh, or yeah, a little, uh, about uh, 10 months ago we finished that up. And we noticed something very interesting. This isn't rocket science, but we noticed that chapters 1, 2, and 3 occur before chapters 4, 5, and 6. Okay? We observed that together. We're a very smart church, aren't we? Why is that important? Well, let's say I open up Ephesians, and I, I come to Ephesians chapter uh, 5, and I, I pick a verse at random, and it says, uh, uh, don't get drunk with wine. Okay? I say, Ephesians 5, 9 is my, my life verse. It's something I've been struggling with, but now I'm, I'm not going to get drunk with wine any longer. I, I focus on Ephesians 5, 9, and everything in my life is about Ephesians 5. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get drunk. And, and then I look at other verses in Ephesians 5. I'm not going to get angry. I'm, I'm not going uh, to lie anymore. What's, what's happening? I'm focused on the actions, but I'm not focused on the heart. Ephesians 
chapters 1, 2, and 3 occur first. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us about the condition of our heart. And it tells us that, that we were uh, living like the rest of the world. It says that you, you live in the passions of, of your flesh, Ephesians 2, 3, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of, the man, of mankind. But then something incredible happens in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us what? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Before you can get to chapters 4, 5, and 6 and talk about the conduct of your life, the the actions, the anger, the, the things that need to be addressed, the stealing, what needs to happen is there needs to be a heart transformation. In fact, Ephesians 4 talks about this transformation. He talks about how the Gentiles live, that is, those who don't know God. He says they live in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. This is Ephesians 4.18. Because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart, their, their hearts, their inner man, that, that storehouse from which they grab their actions is hardened and deceived, and they're blinded. And so they're like gro- going about in life, groping through the darkness. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20 of Ephesians 4, But this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, that is the self that hasn't been transformed by the gospel, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to be renewed in that that inner man, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Look, you must have a changed heart before you can change your behavior. And a person that's focused on their behavior without first addressing the condition of their heart is a person who's chasing after legalism. As parents, we're very guilty of this, aren't we? Whitney and I have just this last week been evaluating our own parenting. And some of you are saying, well, it's about time. Uh, we've been just evaluating, right? Like, wh- What are we concerned about in our children? And so often the things that we're concerned about aren't their, the, the, the true condition of their heart. We're concerned about, about our behavior that doesn't, that some of it's not even necessarily sinful. As we parent... Our goal is heart change and letting the actions follow. In, you know, in 1981, I, I was reading about a, a Jack Welsh, the CEO of, of GE in 1981. He made a very interesting speech to his shareholders. He said that they were going to now f- start focusing on increasing the value of the stock for the shareholders. Now, that was a radical idea. That was a radical change because before, th- now this is my understanding, I don't have a business degree or anything, uh, but my understanding is that before, the idea was, okay, we're going to focus on the quality of the company, and as we focus on the quality of the company, then the stock price will, will be affected. See? Company first, stock price secondary. Well, Jack Welsh stands up and says, look, our focus is going to be on the end game. We're going to try to make the, the value of the stock more important in some ways than what's actually going on in the company. Some of you have experienced that frustration in your own companies that you work for, that 
big yellow company sometimes. Look, why, why are we focused on this? Well, because it's the shareholders, okay? What is, well, what's the relationship? As, as parents, as believers, sometimes we're focused on the action without first focusing on what's causing the action. You have to have a changed heart before you can change uh, your behavior. It's very important as we consider how to walk in godliness. In fact, uh, it's not just true that we must, come be must become believers uh, before we can, can walk in righteousness. Even as we have become believers, placed our faith in Christ, it's crucial that we continue walking in Christ, having Him change our hearts, transform our hearts, so that we can, can continue to walk in godliness. And He can address the areas of our life that need to change. In Romans chapter 8, He talks about what's true of a believer. He says, those of you who are a believer are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. In fact, the, the spirit of, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, listen to this, if it's true that Christ is in you, it's true the spirit of Christ is in you, then God, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That brings me to the second truth here, the second applicational truth about as we think about fruit. You will produce good fruit if you are a believer. You will produce good fruit if you are a believer. The psalmist, as he talks about the righteous person in Psalm chapter 1, says that the, he first of all describes the righteous person, the blessed person. He says the righteous person delights in the law of the Lord. The righteous person on his law meditates day and night. And listen to what the righteous person is like, verse 3 of Psalm chapter 1. He's like a tree that's planted in streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. If you are a believer, you will produce good fruit. If you've had a heart that's been transformed by the gospel, if Christ himself lives within you, good fruit will be the result. They're saying, well, does that mean that works cause salvation? Are you saying that you can't be saved unless you do good works? No, absolutely not. F follow the equation very carefully with me, all right? Faith alone leads to salvation. But according to that passage that we just read in Romans chapter 8, what happens at salvation? At the moment of salvation, God himself begins to indwell you and change you, and transform you. And if you can look at your life and say, look, there is nothing good that's ever been produced in my life, the question is, has God himself transformed your heart? That brings up the third truth. This is a little bit more controversial, although it's just restating the second truth in some ways. Number three, you are not a believer if you do not produce good fruit. 
You are not a believer if you do not produce good fruit. You say, whoa, Daniel, hold on. Are you saying works-based righteousness? Are you saying that your salvation is dependent upon your works? No. <laughs> but if you can look at your life and say there's been no good works, you're not a believer. Let me uh, give you a scenario here. Uh, let's say that you're a person, or you know a person, and this, this person has no desire for the things of God. They have publicly denounced Jesus Christ. At one point, maybe they made a profession of faith, but they've publicly denounced Jesus Christ. Now they have uh, every, you know, they, they've even turned their attention to mocking other believers. They've, they've said terrible things about Christianity. They, they believe that Christians are the greatest of all fools. And uh, what do you do with that person? It was a person that made a profession of faith at one time. What do you do with that person? What, what's theologically true of them? Well, some people say, well, that person was a Christian at one point. They were a Christian at one point, but they've, they've lost their salvation. They, they've sinned to the degree that, that now they're no longer in the family of God. And I believe on the basis of Romans chapter 8 and, and other texts that that can't theologically be true. God is indwells a believer and things begin to happen in a believer's life and and God is going and we'll talk about this more next week God is going to cause the believer to persevere until the end and so I don't believe that that is is theologically true right that's that's the Arminian position another possibility is that uh and this was this was the position taught by a church that I attended for for several years the other idea is this well uh, that person is a, a genuine believer but but um you know, just sometimes things like that happen, all right? And this, this person's a, a carnal Christian. It's a certain category of believer. And, and so we look at that person and say, hey, you know what? You're saved. You just, you're just not acting like it. And you even counsel that person that way. I don't think that's a very biblical option either. In fact, let me, uh, let me just read some texts that I believe uh, confirm this idea that uh, when we're talking about a, a person that's living in, in uh, unrepentant sin with no desire to change, you're talking about a person that's in a, a grave in grave danger spiritually. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23, reveals that there are going to be some people who someday appear before God and uh, call out, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. And what is Jesus going to say to them? He's going to say, look, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me. I, I didn't know you. It's a person that's going to be so quite surprised to find out that they're not in the family of God. Uh, the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter uh, 3, Paul says this, beginning in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Listen to this. These are people that Paul is, is uh, sorrowful about because for a time they were with him. They were part of the, the family of God, and yet, and yet now uh, th- they're not. And Paul says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, and so forth. And so I know that there are going to be some people who uh, believe that they're part of God's family, assume that they're part of God's family, and yet are not. Remember earlier in Luke, uh, Luke uh, quoted John the Baptist who told the people that came to him, he said, look, bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go ahead and turn there with me if you could. Verse 9. 
says uh, some words that I, beginning in verse 9, we see some words that are very concerning for a person that is living in an unrepentant sin. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says, uh, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were, past tense, some of you. That's who you used to be, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And so look, if those things are characteristics of you, your confidence uh, shouldn't be in, hey, you know what, I prayed a prayer at one point, uh, even though my life is characterized by this certain sin now, it's what I'm going to do, it's what I'm going to continue to do, uh, I'm okay, you're not okay. <laughs> are you saying, look, Daniel, are you saying that believers never sin? No, of course not. Are you saying that believers never do some of the sins that are just listed there? No, that's not what I'm saying. Believers do sin, and they sin grievously. But understand this. If a person is a believer, and they're walking in sin for a period of time, they're going to be some of the most miserable people ever. Why? Because what they are doing is not in accordance with their new nature. It's off. It's, it's wrong. And they know it. A person that persists in living in an immoral lifestyle, living in sin, living in, in things that aren't in accordance with their new nature, it's a person who needs to examine the fruit of their life and say, look, what's the condition of my heart? Again, we're not saved by our works. Salvation, salvation occurs as we place our faith in, in Christ. We place our faith in Christ as we recognize our sin that leads to salvation, but that salvation produces fruit. If you look at your life and you say, look, there's no fruit in my life, you need to ask, have I placed my faith in Christ? Number four, fourth applicational truth here. Your, your good fruit is God's fruit. Your good fruit is, is God's fruit. You know, in the story of the, the sower and the seeds in Matthew chapter 13, something kind of interesting happens. As Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower, he's talking about that seed that fell on the good ground. He says this in Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who, listen to this, hears the word of God and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields it in one case, a hundredfold, and another 60, and in another 30. You say, look, I, I look at my own life, and, and I, I, look at, uh, I look at this guy over here. Man, he is producing some amazing fruit. Maybe I'm not a believer because I'm not producing the same type of fruit as this person or in the same degree. And, and no, you know what? That's not the way to look at it. Our goal is always to be increasing in godliness, to be sanctified, be more righteous, but it's not the quality, it's not the quantity necessarily of the fruit that reveals our salvation. Different people are going to be sanctified at different rates and to different degrees. Your good fruit is, is God's fruit. In fact, Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable that is very encouraging to me. 
He says in verse uh, 6 of Luke 13, he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The guy answers, he says, sir, let it alone this year also until I, I dig around it and put on manure. Then, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. The rate at which we produce fruit in our Christian life is going to vary as well. And, and maybe as you look at a, another person's life, you say, man, I, I don't know if there, there's fruit there, but, but God is working in them on the inside. And, and, there's, and God, as, as spirit indwells them, is going to produce some amazing fruit in, them in the ta- fruit in them in the time to come. Our goal, therefore, is not to judge the salvation of other people, but instead to look at our own heart. Say, look, God, are you producing uh, any fruit at all in me? If not, is it because my heart hasn't been transformed by the gospel, which leads us to our final point. You must inspect the fruit of your heart. You must inspect the fruit of your heart. As a person looks at the condition of their heart, sometimes it's going to be a very discouraging process. God's work in us is sometimes slow. Sometimes it's not evident to the people around us. Our responsibility, therefore, is not to judge others. Our responsibility isn't to to look at our, our brothers and sisters and say, man, why aren't you producing the fruit in your life that you need to produce? Our goal is to turn the microscope in on ourselves. Say, God, God, help me understand the fruit in my life. Help me understand whether or not I'm, I'm being the person you've, you've called me to be. And, and Lord, help me understand whether or not there even be in me a, a wicked and unbelieving heart. God's call on us is a gracious call. He can take a tree that's dead, a tree that's producing terrible fruit. He can take a, a bramble bush and transform it into a fig tree. He can transform us into grapevine. My friends had no clue that the state of Texas had not recognized their their union. It took inspection in order to determine that. God calls us to inspect the quality of our fruit to help us understand the condition of our heart. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would indeed encourage us this morning to understand your word more deeply. And Lord, help us as we look at the fruit of our lives and help us to see your hand at work in producing good within us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.